Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello, hello. You are joined here for another episode of Flower Hour, another contestant in the All African Colours contest with Paige Ashton. Paige, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? It's been, it's been a good day. I just had some tea, so I'm feeling warm, feeling ready. Outside is dark, but I'm looking forward yeah. for this conversation to brighten up the mood and the environment and everything that's happening. What have you been up to? You've been up to anything special? Um, so, well, I mean, I've been at work um, and that's been pretty hectic, but I guess something special is that I'm currently um, walking 15 kilometres every day and doing burpees, so I've done... I did 63 burpees today, although Still a lot. I, I, yeah, I lose count while I'm doing them and then I'm trying to guess if I'm behind or ahead. Yeah. yeah. And I would love to know, so the first question I always ask anyone is, tell me a little bit more about you. You know, who is Paige Ashton? Who are we speaking to? Okay. Um, so I guess I'm 25. Um, I'm originally from Hertfordshire. And I live in London now, in Wandsworth. Um, oh, so do I. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so my heritage or my background, so I'm from the Caribbean, so St. Vincent, Barbados and Jamaica, which is quite a mix, but yeah. Okay. It's crazy. I don't meet many people in Wandsworth, so it's always nice to meet someone from Wandsworth. I'm down the road in um, Tootin. Tootin's changed quite a lot. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the town area. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I know where that is. I think they've built some new flats around there recently, haven't they? Yeah, there's still it's very high rise, especially by the river. Yeah, everything is changing massively. But yeah, um, as I know, you're a contest contestant in the All African Colours um competition. I'd love to know more about your reason for why you applied and what you're hoping to get out of the, out of the experience. Okay. Um. So the reason why I applied, I think originally I applied because I felt confident that I could be part of it. And I think a lot of it is, for me, I don't have the best self-confidence. And through this process, I've been able to believe in myself a bit better and put myself out there more just because of the nature of this competition. Um, And then also I really wanted to represent diversity and I know that's quite a big statement but I don't think we're represented enough in in I guess in this industry or across loads of different industries and I think especially with everything that's happened this year it's time for us to really be seen and for I guess for people of our color or even not of our color to feel like they're being represented in the way that they should. And do you feel that representation, I suppose, in the industries have finally begun to change or do you feel like there's still a long way for them to have to catch up? I think there's still a long way for them to catch up. Um, I only say that because at work, say, we see more entry-level people that are diverse, but it doesn't really change with managers. So it becomes like a... Yeah, there's more of us, but not in the 
we do matter, but not in the positions that matter that could really gather. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting because I was reading statistics that showed that university students, especially students of colour, black, they graduate with two ones at a higher rate than we've ever had before. So it's, it's crazy to hear that you said you're seeing them more at entry level, but then to see them at positions that matter speaks volumes about the society. How do you think we can encourage talent, I suppose, to want to aim for those positions that matter and change things? I think it's a, you need to keep going regardless if you get knocked back, because I think there's a lot of, especially for me, if you don't keep knocking at the door, you think, oh, there's no point. Um, I think it's also make sure you have good allies and people that are going to talk about you well, regardless if you're in the room or not. And I think those really help to push you into those positions as well. And what I'd love to know is, you said you grew up in Hertfordshire, now you're in Wandsworth. Could you take me back to your childhood and just how your childhood has influenced the young lady that I'm seeing here today? Um, okay. Um, so, trying to... You can start from anywhere as long as you... Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think about all the, all the years before I probably went to university. Um, so, I guess my... Starting, my area is very much uh, mainly Caucasian area. And um, so you kind of, not you stick out, but you can feel that sometimes. Um, But there's also, so also actually what was really great is we have a African-Caribbean association um, in the next town. So a lot of my... Saturdays were spent going to we call it Saturday school but you go you do maths uh English the normal subjects but we'd also get taught about black history and so uh, it's important because even for my mum now she'll say you taught me about black historical figures that I really wouldn't have known about because you got taught about it and I remember even my secondary school teacher we had to, once we had to put in like um, a historical figure that we thought was really great. And I can't remember his name exactly. But so I picked a black uh, doctor from the US, which we just learned about at that school. And even she didn't know about him. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, you can teach people, but again, this is di- diverting, but this is why black history should be on the syllabus because it's uh, important that we know about our black history, but for everybody to know about black history as well. Absolutely. And then you said you grew up in an area that was mainly Caucasian and you went to a school. So from what I understand, maybe it was like a supplementary school, Pan-African perhaps. And what always comes to mind is, um, I remember in the 1970s that they made those schools because children in schools, particularly black children, were failing and sometimes it wasn't as a result of a lack of intelligence. It was a result of some people argue racism and not being looked mm-hmm. after properly in school. And also I know Akala, who's one of my biggest icons or role models, he also went to Pan-African after, um, school. And it's great that you've been able to teach your mum something. That, yeah. That's fantastic. 
So what was it like in the area that you grew up? You know, growing up, I suppose, we don't think about these things until we get older, but could you take yeah. me through that journey growing up? And what was it like when you moved to London? Yeah, so I think probably up until maybe year four or year five, so that's like nine, ten, you don't really have to think about race. It's not something that pops up. But then I think my first proper racist comment came from some kids in the school. And it was, I remember telling the teacher, but I don't believe anything was really done, which is actually kind of sad when you think about it now, because I remember someone saying, oh, this will go on their record and it will go through with them. But I really doubt it. And that's, that's being a child rather than not saying it's any better as you get to being an adult, but you don't know how to deal with that. And I don't think my parents necessarily put that across to us. I think mainly probably because they didn't want to make us feel like we had to have that, those thoughts in our head or to feel that someone will think that we're inferior because of our colours. No, yeah, and I I suppose I was asking one of my friends who has a daughter and he, I asked him, would you teach your child about race? And he said he doesn't want his child to feel different and he would rather his child comes home one day and says, dad, this is what's happened. And then yeah. he'll inform his child rather than putting this idea of race into their head. Yes. If you look back at that, do you think you'd have rather if your parents had told you perhaps the area that you lived in, you're different? Because my mum always told me, she's like, Sean, you're a black boy, you're going to have to work three times as hard. Yeah. You know, Because she came during the era when it was no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Oh, so yeah. I suppose evidently she was different so yeah I'd love to know what you feel about that um I don't think so because I think it's a lot to put on a child to have to think oh maybe I shouldn't do this because I'm black or this could be looked at a different way because I'm black and I know Mm. I know say even for my parents things like sport that wasn't important to them academics has always been important because they I mean I've was great not not bigging myself up but I was <laughs> but I think it's just it's just something that you are good at when you're a child not so much now um but they, <laughs> they would go to parents evenings and yeah. the teacher would always say oh she does really well in sports and they'd be like we don't want to know about that just tell us about mm-hmm. academics so I guess for me I kind of got pushed towards academics which is good but then there was there's always a piece of me that's like but I could have maybe been okay at sports if there had been some drive in that as well. No, absolutely. Um, it's crazy that there's so many similarities because my mum, <laughs> I said to my mum I was good at sport. In school, I was good at sport. Yeah. Um, I was never really pushed into it. I was pushed into it by my teachers, but my mum always kind of pushed me away from it, you know? And I suppose it's, what is it? I think they call it the tertiary occupations in terms of like yeah. players, doctors. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're safer compared to sport because, for example, like football, the top 1% of footballers make it. So I suppose they're trying to clip our wings in some aspect. They are. I think it's also a, um, I know, say for my dad at school, because he went, he grew up in the same, well, both my parents grew up in the same area as I did. But he said 
there was a lot of drive towards sports because you're black, so you must be good at sports. <laughs> Whereas for them, that's where why they were like, no, she might be good at sports, but mm. it's about academics. Forget the, not forget it, but that's more not, emphasis. Yeah, there was a lot more emphasis on yeah. me not going down that route. So then that's happened and you've calibrated that all as you grow up. You've moved to London. Take me through your journey when you moved to London and what was it like breathing in the polluted air compared to the sweet air of Hertfordshire? Um, I guess so. I moved here because of work, because it's mm. a lot easier to get there. Or Also, it was like a two-hour commute, so it's not worth... It is kind of worth it, but it's not worth the time. Yeah. Um, but I do think you see a lot more culture. Well, it depends on where you live because <laughs> you can live in a cultured area or you could live in just, a, again, another mainly Caucasian area. Mm. But, and yeah. Do you feel with moving to London, you've been exposed to new opportunities such as the contest you've been um, running in? And, and I'd love to know, how did the opportunity come about and why did you decide to do it? Um, so, so opportunity came about because I thought, I don't know why. I think it's because I felt confident in lockdown. So I started working out. <laughs> I, could, I could possibly do this. Not I could possibly, I was like, I, I can do this. So yeah. I applied to Miss England and then didn't think anything of it. And then... Um, I got a call from Miss Yvette and she was like, oh, um, the Miss England director has sent your photo across and your details. Would you want to do this? And then we had a call and it, she kind of went through in more detail about the heat and what it was. And at that point, then I was like, maybe I'm not confident enough to do yeah. this. I'm also a believer in if you throw yourself in, you're going to get out what you put in as well. So may as well try because you never know when you're going to get this opportunity again. And how do you think you've grown during the competition? Do you, are you the same page that is in the competition now? Um, I wouldn't say so. I don't know. For me, there's a lot of, I'm not confident, but I'm confident if I'm comfortable and I think so the support of the, the whole team um, of the Miss All African Colours management team, as well as the girls, because they, as we call each other sisters, it's kind of like a, we, we're in competition against each other. But we also, I think we'd be happy if any of us won. So it's, it's nice in that way because we talk regularly um, is making sure that each of us are okay and yeah I don't know if I've answered your question no no I, I feel like you have because I know the competition is very much there's the idea that people who model or whoever's in kind of the industry where we focus on looks you're not just about looks you guys do other things outside of that mm. and it's very much that to give back is the most important thing so I know that you told me your challenge your beauty of a purpose you have to walk 15k every day and you you told me you've been doing 100 burpees every day for eight days and how is that um 
It's going, so when I started, I was a bit like, maybe I've bit off more than I can chew. Um, but then I got to the third day and my arms didn't ache anymore. So I'm like, maybe this is, it's good for me anyway. Um, but it's also, uh, I think it's, so my beauty with a purpose is looking at the stigma around mental health, but also how do we educate ourselves better on mental health as well as mental well-being? Because I don't think enough people think about their mental well-being until it's too late. And I think that's a lot of why we, not why we get mental health issues, but I think it's one of the, the big pieces um, that we don't sit back and we don't reflect and we don't think, oh, I'm, am I doing okay? Not just my body, but is my head okay? Am I stressed? Am I, like, you need to work through those things um, a bit more regularly. I think. So, and, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I know. I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, so. I was just going to ask you in terms of mental health, why has the topic around mental health been so important for you? Uh, yeah. So, I think, especially with lockdown and uh, COVID, I think mental health is definitely being more talked about. Um, but I think there's still so much more to do. And I can, oh well, I can say this more openly now, but I've, I've not had severe mental health issues, but in the past I've had some mental health issues and I've needed cognitive behavioural therapy to help me get through. Um, I guess the, the negative thoughts as in, in my own head, like I'm not, I'm not doing well enough or I know these, they sound kind of, not important um or i'm not um yeah so like i'm not doing well enough and for me during my first year of work it was getting me to a point where i felt like i could cry every day and i think it's really important that we talk about it openly because for some people they'll go oh i feel like this but i don't know what i'm meant to do and i don't know who i'm meant to go to see and for me I remember telling my dad and he was like you just need to go to the doctors and I think luckily for me because I know so many people go to their doctors and they get put on waiting lists and then they don't get seen for years um for me it happened really quickly and I had telephone therapy with um like CBT and that's I think that's my first start in feeling more confident about myself and what I'm doing but it's almost like it's a continuous journey of you continuing that and not going back to the place that you are so I think because I've dealt with that I think it's important that other people understand that but also get the help when they need it because otherwise it's not always the best outcome the first thing that comes to mind if you share and what you shared is I'm thankful that you shared that because I know that perhaps wasn't always the easiest to share and to share that is it's a lot of transparency that not many people would be able to do um so yeah I'm really thankful for that that's that's touched me so I'm thankful you've been able to share that with me um because I've done therapy and I found it to be fantastic I found there were um times when after a session 
I'd cry so much. I was either happy, and I mean ecstatically happy, or I was super sad. Um, and I remember when I spoke to the therapist, it said they told me that it was because my emotional muscle was finally being worked. Yeah. My childhood, I don't feel like my emotional muscle was being worked. And I know it's um, a marathon, not a sprint. The journey to mental health is it's definitely not easy. And I wanted to ask, so mental health, the statistics around it, I've shown that people's mental health has actually been on, on the decline in, in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. How do we support people, I suppose, with their mental health? What would be your views as yeah, as someone who's gone through it, you've benefited from it as well? Yeah. As in support them before they get mental health issues Both. or during? Um, so again, it comes... To, for me, um, a lot of my beauty with the purpose is on education. I think it's so important that we... I think we're not equipped as adults and we deal with it as adults, but it should be taught to us as children um, just to get an understanding of it's okay. It's, it's an illness. It's not a, it's not like just, I don't know how to put it. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. If you had a cold, you would go to the doctors or you would stay at home and you would ring your family to say, I'm ill. Can you help me? cold maybe not so much but the flu so it's the same with mental illness like if you're stuck in bed because you just can't get out that's what for some people it should be exactly the same and I think the more we teach ourselves and we educate our children on checking in on ourselves and making sure we're okay the more we can get to a point where it's I'm not okay I need to get help um And then it's also a realizing that someone else isn't okay and telling them, not telling them, but helping them to get the help that they need as well. Um, With what we need, I think definitely the government need to step up, probably, um, looking at doctors, because I know there's a difference between mental health and you going to see the GP for an illness. And I don't think there should be really any difference between that um but then also say the work so my i'm looking or i'm working with the brent wandsworth and westminster mine charity and the services that they help to provide such as talking therapies or um they do like creative uh workshops and all of that really helps people whilst they're going through mental health issues to combat them but to keep as you said it's a marathon not a sprint so it's to keep going with that journey to make sure that they are I guess they're helped and they overcome it but to know that if they need help again they've got that support absolutely and it's I think what was quite rare to hear in your story is when you said that your dad told you to check in on the doctor um because I can't imagine my mum ever telling me. I remember I said to my mum, come along with me to therapy, mum. And my mum was like, Sean, church is my therapy. I'm like, mum, that's a Band-Aid. It's an absolute <laughs> Band-Aid. It doesn't deal with the very root of it. So I want to ask you, if you having such a supportive parent, I suppose, in some aspects, what do you feel like the barriers towards mental health have usually been typically in our community? And do you feel like those barriers are finally starting to evaporate? Um. 
I don't know if they're evaporating as such. I don't know if it's just, so I will say my mum would have said the same as well. It's more just, um, I was with my dad at that time or, yeah, I was telling him about it. But um, I don't know if it's a, a shift possibly in us being a different, or he's a different generation to say when my grandparents came over. And then again, we're a different generation to our parents or our grandparents. Um, So I think it is changing. And I think the more we openly talk about it and show that it's okay to discuss it and to get help, because I know, so when I was looking at statistics, I think 50% of black and uh, other ethnic minorities that have mental health issues won't tell anybody because they believe it's a burden to put it onto someone else and I think that's such a shame because it's a burden but as we all know uh what's the saying a story shared is a story halved so it's kind of like a you'd feel better for talking about it so we need to put that across I could imagine. And you've been working, as you said, with Brent and Wandsworth. And what was the other borough as well? Um, working with the mind therapy. How do you think, how have you seen, how important do you think their work has been in bettering those with mental health issues and supporting those with mental health issues? Um, so I think it's really important. So I know that they've been helping those communities, but it's not just those communities or those three areas they help neighboring um communities as well but they've been doing that for 40 years so it's i can imagine i can imagine they've helped so many individuals to make sure that they're supported through this journey and to get them to a point that they can not they can go and live their lives and not have these issues but to make sure that even if they're severe mental health issues they can continue their lives as best as possible and I know also as well you spoke to me about some of the work that you're doing at work you said at work you've created a black network to network and alliance or otherwise known as an employee resource group um could you talk to me a little bit more about that I'd love to hear more about that um so in my company um in the U.S. we have the Black Employee Resource Group. And I don't think, or apparently, so I don't think they thought we would need one in the UK. And then I think, um, so after George Floyd, uh, more of us began talking. And I know, so I was working closely with one of my work friends. And we were discussing this probably this time last year. And we were saying, we need to look at, how many people of colour are in our workplace, but even try and pinpoint who's black, who's Asian, what kind, not what kind of Asian are they, but are they Southeast Asian? Are they um, Middle Eastern? Just to understand, I guess, what the landscape is, because I know I had a, a brief look after George Floyd, and really we don't have as many people as you think we do. Um, and I think especially because we're in, or well, the London office, 
London is more ethnically diverse than most of the other cities across the UK, but we don't make up the population of the amount of people we should. Um, And so I think we wanted to uh, tackle race because race is is such a taboo subject for some reason. don't want to talk about it and they well they're uncomfortable and I get why they'd be uncomfortable because sometimes you know you'll say the wrong thing Mm. uh, and you don't you don't want to put that out there because then somebody somebody else could say to you oh well that's a racist comment and okay yes it is but if you're going to learn from that and understand what you should say next time that's I think that's how we need to not necessarily go about that message, but it's a don't feel like you can't talk about race just because you think you're going to say something wrong. It's um, we need to be talking about this continuously because maybe it doesn't affect you because you don't have to think about race, but your employees or your people that work for you do have to go through that. So, yeah. And do you feel like you've ever had to go through that in your personal life or in your work life at all that's influenced you, for you to, to make such a network? Um, so I think for me, quite luckily, I've never really had any issues at work. And for me, uh, when I went to my interview, for the first time, I saw someone that looked like me. And I know that sounds like a really weird um Thing to say but so someone that looked like me but also was a female black person and she was interviewing me and there was also uh, an Asian woman in there as well and an Irish man so it's not like it's the your usual expected interviewers and I've been yeah. to so many interviews that had just two Caucasian men or sometimes you would get a woman in there but you don't really get that mix and I remember going home I told my mum about it and she would still say to me oh how's that like how's that person because to her she's like oh it's it's great that you went into an interview and you saw someone that's like you because you don't get that very often and I think that's really helped me at work um but it's also even not my necessarily my new team but my old team we have like a whatsapp group and we'll talk about um our hair for example (laughs) my hair is naturally curly so it's like an afro and then we're talking about what products are best to use to make (laughs) it better so it's kind of like a in a way you don't expect to find that at work but it's I've been lucky enough to find that and I know it's it's I feel like it's prompt that you spoke about hair because I know unfortunately a lot of black women have suffered at the hands of their hair being seen as unprofessional in the workplace and for you to even have conversations about what hair products you use and so much more I think that's it's great to be able to even have that how important has that been to have that network with you speaking to other ladies about you know ladies issues or hair topics and so on for you at the workplace has that boosted your confidence I think so I think it makes it it makes you feel like you can't not talk about anything Mm. um and I think I've been lucky even in my office okay yeah we are a group of 
weirdly enough, so we were a group of five females, which is quite odd um, for a team because you usually would have a man in there somewhere. Um, but I think it helps to... I guess the, the perception normally with women is that you're not going to get on, mm. and we don't have that at all. It's, it's, um, it's almost like there's no issues we could talk about anything openly and we we have done we've talked about race or if you've had any issues like in the past with um different people having different issues with you or yeah and i suppose not everybody has afforded that opportunity to be able to speak to other people about work if you could how would you implement that i know you said you have you want the employee resource group slash that networking alliance have you been able to act that out in the workplace and are you looking to perhaps roll it out into other workplaces um so i think so we're actually still we're setting up so we roll out Mm. at the beginning of december um i know so i know um quite a few other workplaces have similar resource groups so I've spoken to people in other companies just to understand how did they get set up? What's the best way? Um, a lot of it is you need very senior buy-in because otherwise you can't not push it, but you can't make people think about it that way because before you have the senior buy-in, it's kind of like, oh, it's just some people trying to get this point across rather yeah. than it a serious issue because it is a serious issue but I think it's uh, become more of a serious issue this year and I don't know if that's a lot of because we've been sat at home and so because we're sat at home we have to see it Mm. we'd have this is what I say about George Floyd I don't think people realise that this happens regularly for black people maybe not so much in the UK but in the US and okay, yeah, uh, I think the the quote from Will Smith is, it's like, it's no different, it's just being filmed. Um, that's a loose quote. But the fact that it's now being filmed and that we've been sat in our homes and we've kind of had to watch it, it's almost like it's, I think it's made people reconsider the issues and actually see that there are issues underlying everywhere not just in the US because say the Sainsbury's advert I don't know if you've seen about that with yeah even for Black History Month where they put up um (laughs) stickers people were like why have you aligned yourself to that it's um it if anything I know that people are racist but for other people I think they I've never seen it up until this point. So I suppose in some aspects, the people who have never seen it, they're like doubting Thomas. They don't believe it exists because they've yeah. never experienced it. And it's until they've experienced it, then life is very different. When I saw the Fred from Sainsbury's, mm-hmm. I wasn't really surprised at all, if I was to be honest with you. And why I say I'm not surprised is because I go shopping every week. And honestly, in many stores regardless where I go, I always get followed. Being followed is like 
a normality for me. So I suppose I'm a bit racially tired. And we're like, oh, this is normal now. How did yeah. you feel when you saw the advert and you saw the threads that were, were coming through? Um, so again, I mean, I, I don't get followed or I don't think I get followed, but um, you kind of expect it mm. because you know that people, well, you see what people write about people these days everywhere. Um, so I think you know that people will zoom into that because they're going to go, oh, well, you're trying to make sure you hit the quota of having enough black people in your, or other Asian, or not other Asian, but other ethnic minority people in your adverts. Um, And I think, again, you kind of expect it, but then to see some of the comments that people make are, they're pretty vile. So it's not like a, or they're stereotypical and generally the stereotypes aren't, well, not for me anyway, the stereotypes have never been there. So I'm kind of like, you've picked this up from somewhere, but if you actually knew or you had friends or you were friends with people that were black, you would know that these things are not true. Or even if you do have friends, you shouldn't be saying these things really. Mm. And do you feel like there's been a few times you've almost had to check somebody for some of their comments? Um, yeah, there have been. Um, and I think before before this year, I would have just let them glide, mainly because you don't want to be the one to bring it up. Um, but I think with this year, it's important that you say that it's wrong and why they're wrong. Mm. I think it's, uh, you should just label the you're being racist. It's uh, you're being racist because this, this and this. As long as you can give them examples, I think it makes them reconsider what they're thinking about. Mm. Um, race has been such a big issue, obviously because unfortunately George Floyd died at the hands of the police officer. Then we had COVID, which affected ethnic minorities differently because they yep. were in more front-facing roles. And then on top of that, you had Black History Month, where I felt like Black History Month, there wasn't really much to it. But what, 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 like, what can I really expect? And it's interesting because you went to a Pan-African school, and I feel like we need more schools like that. See, my view is, if you put it in the curriculum, you almost control the narrative of what people choose to show children. Whereas I think in a Pan-African school, you can expose kids to plethora. It becomes more exciting. It becomes like this place where like, ooh, we're gonna learn more about black heroes and so much more. And then people forgot we had the Edward Colston, the pulling down of his statues. Like we had Robert Mulligan, the Scottish slave child. We've had so much. Yeah. It's been a year really of racial remembrance in some aspects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I just feel like there's been so much. So it's really said a lot about where society is going, I suppose, in some aspects. Yeah. It's just keeping it going. I think that's the uh, important thing, mm. that we continue to drive this message and it's not just left in this year because we think we've made progress and we hope that, the people we've put in, not I guess not the people we've put in charge, but 
we expect them to continue the message, but a lot of the time it's a crowd will do more than a one person alone. And Absolutely. So we need to keep going with that. I've asked everybody this question, by the way. It's a hypothetical question. And you can put it as easy or as hard. You put it as detailed as much as you want. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to change the world? And how would you change the world in which we're in? So... If I had a magic wand, I think... I would look at, I think I would look at poverty because I think there are so many families and children that are stuck because they are stuck. They're stuck in this life that some of them will never be able to get out of. And it's almost like we have enough money in the world to make sure that everybody's doing okay it's just we seem to let the people with money keep it um and i think it's such an unfair society that some people will have to decide that they're not going to eat for today or that they don't have they can't buy any more clothes not any more clothes but they can't buy or they only have one pair of clothes for the year or one lot of shoes some people might not even have shoes it's um it makes me think about my life and sometimes you're I can be quite ungrateful but I have everything that I need and more so it's um it's a shame was there a second bit to the question what would I do how would you change it how would I change it because in light of what you said in terms of poverty, you had Marcus Rashford, who's made ma- some yeah. massive w- um, waves. And I think it's quite a bit of sweet, strangely, in my humble opinion, because the whole of the first team of Manchester United earn mm-hmm. more than two million a month. Yeah. Those, they, by themselves, they could take children out of poverty. And I agree, it's not a footballer's responsibility to you know, take children out of poverty, food poverty. So it's, yeah, it it really makes me think the amount of money they get is utterly exorbitant. So how would you go around changing poverty? So I think I'd probably be very um, unpopular, but taxes are quite, uh, I guess you'd have to tax those who have, enough money so you kind of have to make sure you tax over a certain rate or over or when people earn over a certain amount um to make sure that that some of the um what am i saying yeah so i think taxes are important because i don't think I know a lot of countries, especially our own country, we don't tax companies enough and we don't tax the rich enough because we're trying to make sure that they stay and that they spend in our economies. But none of that should matter if there are so many other people going without just because they want.
Okay. That's not a viewpoint that I've heard quite often. I don't know if that's because I've done economics. And so I go back to like my, I guess they're my principles. They're not my principles, but the economic principles of how do you redistribute wealth? Tax is a big one. But then, it's very unpopular, like I said before, because people don't want to lose their money. But, yeah, because I was going to ask, um, when you tax people heavier, people usually will leave the economy, which means less jobs and so much more. So how do people find that balancing act between not taxing them too much? Because some people would say you're penalizing entrepreneurship and you're penalizing so much more. So it's a very fine line. I think it's a line between economics, morality, and so much more. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 it's a very long conversation. It is, I, yeah. I know in America... 50 Cent had um, endorsed Donald Trump because 50 Cent doesn't want to pay high tax. No. Joe Biden will tax him more. And these people, they'll just leave the state and go to another jurisdiction where taxes are a lot lower, which works for that economy there. So that's another long conversation. But you've also yeah. done an undergraduate in economics and you've done a master's in economics. So truly, this competition is another almost stepping stone in your life. Are you going to go on to do a PhD at all? And I'd love to know, what would you do if you win the contest? I'd love to know, what, what, what would the future look like if you became the queen? If I became the queen? I think it would be more about driving, I guess, mental health and mm. trying to make sure that, um, that it's taught in schools. So actually it's, it's on the syllabus as of, literally as of this September, um, and it's mandatory. But I want to make sure that schools are not teaching it as like a one-off, because I think that's mm. the way that it probably will be, or it could be lumped in. And I think children need to be reminded of it regularly to make sure that, they're, as I said, they're checking in on their well-being as mm. well as understanding if other people aren't okay um and then so i would also work a lot more closely with um brent west brent wandsworth and westminster mine just to i think i want to get more experience in mental health and how to help people yeah. overcome mental health because i think it's I can I can sit here and say, yeah, I've dealt with it and I'm helping to fundraise for it. But I think you get another, um, what's that? You can get another taste of it, not so much, but you can really understand it a bit better if you volunteered and you know about other mental health issues because... See, I don't know that much about, or we know about severe mental health issues such as schizophrenia or bipolar, but we know about them because of what we see on social media or what we see in the newspapers. It's not a true, um, it's not a true understanding of what's happening. Mm. My final question has got to be, how can we support 
Paige Ashton in her journey on the contest and even outside of the contest? Um, I don't know. No, I think it's... Um, this question's a hard one for me. I think it's... Uh, I suppose, is there an organisation? I know you said you work with the MIND charity. Is there I think MIND probably is. Donating the, to them, voting yeah. for you, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Sorry, I forgot about those things. But yeah, so it would be um, donating to MIND or to the uh, Brent West. Mm. Seem to Brent, Wandsworth and Westminster MIND and then, um, yeah, voting for me, I guess. Okay, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to interview. I think I've learned so much um, and realised there's quite a few similarities we have in some aspects. So I'm looking forward to seeing where you go in the journey. Yeah, and um, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Anytime. Um, what I'll do now, so thank you for everyone that's watched. And if you want to vote for Paige, vote for Paige. I'll put the links, I'll put your link um everything in my bio so i'm definitely looking forward to that yeah sounds good i'll speak to you soon yep speak to you soon bye i hope you've enjoyed this episode and i look forward to having you again if you've enjoyed share subscribe follow and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations and remember flower hour is the podcast where conversations blossom